Matthew uh, 27. And, you know, I have to say, this is a, a, a you know, I'm, I'm, uh, until we're almost like done with the, the book of Matthew, it's a very difficult uh, passage that we're looking at because it's Passover week in Judah, in Israel at this time. And what, what people don't see is that Jesus Christ, he's the Passover lamb. You know, Paul teaches us in the book of uh, Corinthians that Jesus Christ is our Passover and, you know, when you think about it in terms like, wow, I don't get it. You know, I don't understand what's happening here. Well, when you look at the Passover of what happens in the book of Exodus, you see that there's protection in the blood. Just as, you know, the Lord commanded Moses, he says, tell the people uh, to do this. You know, and I think it's very interesting of who the Lord was speaking to at the time. You know how it, you know, it was Moses at the time, but then you look at the influence that the wife of Moses had on him. You look at the influence that Jethro had in providing counsel to Moses. You see uh, Aaron and the Levitical priesthood. And you see all these people that are, that do have ears to hear in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. But to understand that, uh, the Lord was going to judge, or he did judge Egypt, you know, in, in, uh, in Exodus. And you think like, wow, you know, I, you know, that's, you know, you talk with non-believers and they say, you know, I don't believe the Bible because God is so judgmental. He's so vengeful. But understand too, that every single time, 100% of the time before judgment befalls a land, there's always a time period of grace and mercy. Always 100% of the time. And so many people today, they, you know, it's like, wow, you know, we're under grace, you know. And even when the Bible teaches about how there's mockers in the last days saying, you Christians, you guys have been saying that Jesus Christ is going to come back for since the beginning of time, you know, eat, drink and be merry. You know, there's there's no point to even follow Jesus Christ. But don't forget, too, that, you know, you get to the pages of Revelation and there's going to be some major, major time period where people are going to have to make a decision. You know, it's like, wow, am I going to trust in the ways of the world? Am I going to trust in finances? Am I going to trust in drugs? Am I going to trust in alcohol? Am I going to trust in all these things? Or maybe what my grandmother told me about Jesus Christ is actually true. Maybe what this crazy girl at work was telling me about Jesus Christ is actually true. Or maybe, you know, all these people who I thought were stupid and crazy, maybe what they were saying is true. It's going to be a major, like a valley of decision for all of creation. And you know what's happening here is the means by which we are a blood-bought people. It's the death of our Lord. And you know, it kills me. It's very difficult to read because it's like, you know, you fall in love with Jesus Christ every day. Every day. It's like, you know, like when I met my wife for the first time, you know, it's like, you know, you meet her, you know, and I asked her for her phone number and she gave me the real number. You know, and it's like, I fall, like, we've been together for like 20, 21 years, not counting our marriage, but 20 years counting the marriage. And it's like, wow, every single day, it's new opportunities to fall deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper in love with her. You know, and I can only speak for myself. I'm assuming it's a mutual, but you know, it's such a trip because it's like the same thing is with our Lord. You know, it's like you fall in love with Jesus Christ and the word became flesh and you keep reading and reading and reading and reading. And it's like, oh my goodness, Lord, 
I love you. You know, more than anything that this world has to offer, more than anything that, you know, a person has to offer, Lord, I love you. Remember, never forget that the church is the bride of Christ. And you know what I love so much when you get to Revelation? I always get confused in the latter chapters of Revelation. But in Revelation uh, 21, in Revelation 21, uh, the angel of the Lord, uh, John is having a vision. And, you know, he says in Revelation 21, verse 9, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit. And then all of a sudden, he says, he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Number one, that's our home. That's the whole, that's, that's, you know, paradise. That's oneness with our Lord. But what I love about this, this chapter is when he says, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And then you keep on reading. And it's almost like the wife disappears, like the bride disappears because it's like, you know, where is she? You know, all these things. It's like, what happened to her? And you know what? It's like oneness with the Lord, you know, like a husband and wife coming together. The two become one. And it's like, wow, it's like inseparable, inseparable two becoming one. And that's how it is with us, with our Lord Jesus Christ by faith. And, you know, it's. That's why, you know, these passages that we're studying in Matthew, it's very, very difficult. But to understand that the Lord is at work. God is doing something so incredible. That's how much he loves you. You see the triune nature of God. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all are one. You know, and it's like you see like in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God. But in the Hebrew, it's in the beginning Elohim. Elohim, the triune nature of God. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all are one. It's not, you know, like, you know, I like to think of it like a, like a cube. You know, you have a height, depth, and width. You know, it's almost like that. You know, it's... And it blows me away so much because, you know, you could, you could know absolutely nothing about the Bible. And then you just keep reading, keep reading. And the Holy Spirit will interpret these things and show you and teach you because He loves you. He desires oneness with you. And then, you know, what, so what's happening here in our study in Matthew 27, verse uh, 33. It's like where we left off last week in verse 32. But here in verse 33, it's the actual, like, we're going to study the death of our Lord. And he says here in verse 33, And when they had come to a place, remember, there's like a procession of people where the, the Romans are there, the soldiers. Jesus Christ He's been beaten, he's been flogged, rejected by everybody, rejected by uh, uh, his disciples, rejected. Remember his disciples, all, everybody left him alone. He's rejected by, you know, and mocked by uh, the, 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 uh, uh, the teachers of the law, the Judaizers, and then also the Romans. And then last week we looked at a passage of the uh, Herodians, like Herod, everybody was mocking him and he's all alone here. In verse 33, and when they had come to a place called Golgotha, that is, that is to say, place of the skull. In Aramaic, that's called the, the place of the skull, but in Aramaic, it's Golgotha. But the Latin is Calva. That's where we get the word Calvary. If you hear, hear people say like, you know, out on Mount Calvary, they're talking about here, Golgotha, Golgotha, the place of the skull. 
And if you look like on, you know, you do a Google search, you type in like uh, Golgotha, and then you look at the images, it's like a big cliff, but on the hillside, there's like holes that look like eyes and the nose and the mouth. That's why they call it the place of the skull, because geographically, it looked like a skull. And on the top of the cliff, that's where the cross was. You know, and a couple more crosses, what we're going to look at here in, in a couple more verses. It says in verse 34, they gave him sour wine. It also translates as a vinegar, a type of vinegar mingled with gall. And so it's like a drink. It's a, a substance that was used to inhibit like uh, like if, if you were under severe pain, like if you were a patient and they had to amputate your leg, you know, they would give you that, you know, so it kind of numbed the pain. And it says they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink it. So they put it to his mouth. And some passages in, in other gospels, they say that they held it up on, you know, on a reed and they put it on a sponge. They, they dipped the sponge in it and they put it up to his mouth because he's hanging on the cross and he rejected it. He didn't want to drink it. You know, and it blows me away because it's like such obedience to our father, obedience even to death, you know, and it. I mean, I can't compel anybody to to live in whatever manner. But for me, it's kind of convicting, you know, because it's like, you know, it's like, you know, I love my wife to death. But, you know, sometimes, you know, I'm not the greatest of persons to her. You know, I'm not, sometimes I, I treat her disrespectfully, you know, and it's like. I get convicted if, if like we get in a little argument, our arguments are so cheesy now. They used to be pretty bad, but they're so cheesy now. But like even in those little arguments, the little tips, I feel convicted. Like I can't even, like I can't even read three words without feeling the weight of the Holy Spirit saying, hey, make yourself right with your bride first and then come and read your my word. And it's like, so I go to her and I say, hey, baby, you know, I'm sorry, you know. And, you know, it's so cool because she does it to me, too. And it's like, wow, that's how we grow. By faith, I say that's how we die together. You know, and I, you, you hear that and you're like, I don't get it. What do you mean? And I mean death of the, nat the natural man, death of the natural woman. It's very big, you know, in the life of a Christian, because without death, you know what that means? That means that the old nature is still alive. The old man, the old woman is still alive. You know, somebody comes to Christ, they become a believer in Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you what the Bible says. We studied it not too long ago. Oh, in uh, Matthew 12, Matthew 12, verse 43. It says that when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest to find none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept and put in order. So I'll tell you what this means, what's happening here. You know, you have somebody who's, you know, you know, addicted to lifestyles of drugs, sex, rock and roll, the whole nine yards. And then they come to Christ and it's like, wow, praise the Lord. You know, that, per that person has denied that lifestyle and has come to Christ. And it's like, wow, praise the Lord. This unclean spirit, it's gone. And then this unclean spirit says, like in verse 44, I will return to my house from which I came. 
And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. And then the fight doesn't end there because now look what happens in verse 45. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And that last state of that man is worse than the first. So he, so shall it be with this wicked generation. And that's the danger. I don't mean to freak anybody out, but that's the danger be, behind, you know, coming to Christ and not reckoning the old man dead or the old woman dead. That's the danger. Because it's like, wow, you know, I'm strung up on drugs. I'm strung up on alcohol, you know, sexual adventures, all kinds of things. I come to Christ and it's like, wow, praise the Lord. But when you don't learn, when you don't learn how to fight from these holy words, you don't learn how to apply these words in your life, you know what happens? Those temptations are going to come back again. Wow, I miss that, those sexual things. I miss the drugs. I miss the alcohol. And if you're not equipped, you're not going to know how to fight. And that's what's happening in the church today. That's what's happening in the church. It kills me to say it. Because the church is God's bride. The church is God's people. But you look around the church and you see all this mess. You know, people say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Let's go get drunk. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Let's go to the strip club. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Let's do this. And it's like, that's why you, have you ever talked to non-believers before? And you tell them about Jesus Christ and they say, you know what? If that's Christianity, I want absolutely nothing to do with it. And I agree with them. I agree with them. If that is Christianity, have nothing to do with it. But that's not Christianity. This is the word of God. The word of God. It's so powerful here. This is... I hate to say it like it's a, like a monetary transaction. But when you read these texts, even in the Old Testament, uh, the prophecies about the death of the Messiah, it's, it's written in a transaction, like, a, like monetary. You know, it's like you go to the store, you make a purchase, and it's like, you know, you try on a new shirt, you try on some pants, and they're too tight. For me, they're too tight, uh, you know? And it's like, well, it's too tight. And so I tell Liz, you know, hey, can return this, you know? And so she returns it, you know? And that there's that transaction where, you know, it's like she buys the clothes to, you know? So it's like, you know, she made the purchase, you know? And she paid the wages, you know? She has her wages and she made the purchase. And then, you know, all of a sudden, because I hate shopping, you know, a little disclaimer, and it's like, man, your wife does everything. I hate shopping. I can't stand shopping. It's like, it pains me. It's physical pain to my body i don't like it so it's like you know she goes and gets some pants and goes to get a shirt or whatever and then i try it on it's like nah, this ain't this ain't gonna work you know and then so she takes it back but it's like you know she makes the exchange and that's what the lord does for us remember the wages of sin is death you know it's like wow i should you know because of my sin because of your sin we should be dead we should be dead. You read like the wages of sin is death. It's like, whoa, Lord, I'm worthy of death. But then you read even passages in the Old Testament about atoning for sin. And it's blood for blood. Blood for blood. That's why there was animal sacrifice in the Old Testament. It's blood for blood. Remember, life is in the blood. 
That's how God created. You know, like, you know, if you cut like a major artery, you bleed to death. You can bleed and bleed and bleed and you're not going to live forever. You, that's why, you know, people slice their wrists, you know, and then they bleed to death and then boom, they're dead. You know, it takes some time, but they get weaker and weaker because life is in the blood. And it's like, whoa, you know, you read these passages in the Old Testament and it's like, well, I get it now. You know, the blood, it's like, okay, the wages of my sin is now atoned by this blood. And all these passages of the Old Testament, they are shadows of the things to come, just as is written in Holy Scripture. It's not to say, hey, let's perform the acts of the law. Let's go back to the law and do this. No, 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 no. Paul even says, you know, if righteousness comes through the law, then Jesus Christ died in vain. All these things are a shadow of things to come. And the religious leaders, they should be, they should have been the ones to realize, whoa, what, like, this is incredible what the Lord is doing here. This is the Messiah. But they were blind. They were deaf to the things that the Lord was doing. They were hypocrites. Hypocrisy. That's the danger of hypocrisy back then and today. Because it's like, you know, if I beat on my wife and cheat on my wife, I do my drugs, I do my alcohol and do all these things. And then all of a sudden I start teaching about Jesus Christ. The Bible says, number one, it's dangerous to do that because I'm trying to wield this holy sword that it's it's judgment unto me. But there's no power behind it. No power whatsoever. And that's why, you know, we're going to see in the book of Acts, you're going to see the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God, you know, being fulfilled in these apostles and not just apostles, but the church just blows up. It blows up like crazy, like a wildfire. And, you know, what happens here is, you know, these religious leaders, they're the ones that are advocating the death, innocent blood, innocent blood. And so he says in verse 35 here, or it is written here in verse 35. Or actually, you know, when it says that uh, in verse 34, it says they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink. This is a fulfillment of what's written in, in Psalm. Turn with me really quick to Psalm 69. Psalm 69. In Psalm 69. Now, what is fulfilled here is what's written in Psalm 69, verse 21. They also gave me gall for my food and for my thirst. They gave me vinegar to drink. But let's rewind a little bit and look at Psalm 69, verse 16. And you know... In a couple a couple weeks ago, when we looked at the silence, you know, when Jesus Christ was silent before his accusers, people were mocking him, you know, they were saying, oh, you know, if you're the Messiah, you know, you should, you know, they, they put a bag over his head or they covered his face, you know, and then they started punching him. You know, if you're the Messiah, tell us who was it that hit you? And you read the prophecies in Isaiah, and they ripped out his beard. They tore out his beard. And he was flogged. And then you see him before his accusers and he's quiet. He says absolutely nothing. You know, and applicationally in our flesh, you know how hard that is to do? You know, what about if somebody, you know, tells you you're so stupid that the flesh, you desired vengeance. It's like, you know, 
You, you say that about me? Well, what about you? And then you respond. Or worse, what about when somebody punches you in the face? And you feel the adrenaline rise up, you know, and it's like, okay, you're gonna punch me in the face. You know, we're gonna handle some business. And it's like, whoa, you know, you see the example of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul writes to the church, he says, why don't you rather let yourself be cheated? If somebody accuses you of one thing, you know, are they, are they telling the truth? You know, it's easy, you know, if you're if somebody says you're a jerk and it's like, wow, I really am a jerk. Then, you know, maybe they're telling you the truth. But it's like, wow, you're telling me this, but you don't see this. It's like, let the Lord be your vengeance. And we're all in the same boat. I'm not trying to say here like, you know, I have to do this in my life, too. And it's such a trip because, you know, you see Jesus silent before his accusers. But he's not silent to the Lord. He's not silent to his father in heaven. In verse 16, you know, it is written here. Hear me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. Turn to me according to the multitude of your tender mercies. And you read about Jesus Christ and his death. And it's like, wow, how can this be tender mercies? Father, how, how can these be tender mercies when your only begotten son is dying on the cross, when they're beating him? And I don't mean to minimize what God is doing. I don't mean to minimize the death of our Lord. But imagine if you have a child and, you know, there's a huge cut in his or her arm. You know, and the child is holding it and just crying like, you know, this hurts, this hurts. And then, you know, you tell the child, hey, lift up your hand. I have to put this peroxide in it. And the peroxide is going to hurt like crazy. It's going to sting like crazy. Even, you know, the very act, it already hurts, but the very act of, you know, lifting a hand, it's going to hurt. And it's like, wow, you know, you love your child so much. It's like, you know, mama, papa, how can, you know, this is painful. How can this be a good thing? Well, because the child doesn't understand that, you know, there's, it's going to be better, but in the long run. You know, and I don't mean to minimize the, the, the death of our Lord on the cross, but our Father is at work. He's doing something. The very means by which this heavenly transaction can take place is because of the death of Jesus Christ. My sin and your sin. He takes it off of me. He takes it off of you and places it on his son. And his son paid the price. Death. Whoa, that's what I mean when I say transaction. He says, and do not hide your face from your servant, for I am in trouble. What about moments? And, you know, it, what about moments when you're in trouble? You know, when you're in trouble. I, I'll tell you, you know, back in the day when I was in trouble or when I needed help, I would the first thing I would do is run back to the bottle. That's the very first thing I do. Not, I mean, not now, I should I get it specified, but that's what I used to do. When I was stupid, when I was playing games with the Lord, when I had one foot in the world and one foot in the church, when I was a hypocrite. And then the Lord says, hey, cut it out. He humbled me. He humbled me. That's why you hear me talk about jail. What a beautiful, beautiful jail cell that was. Beautiful, beautiful jail cell, because that's where the Lord humbled me. He says, okay, if you want to rule your life, if you want to sit on the throne of your heart, Behold your kingdom. So, okay, Lord, forgive me. I made a mess of everything. What about those moments when you find yourself in trouble? 
Are you going to go back to the bottle? Are you going to deny Christ? Are you going to go back to drugs? Are you going to go back to your sexual adventures? Are you going to go back to the, the means by which you sought comfort before? I say, no, look at the example of our Lord. Jesus Christ. Look at his example. What does he do? He goes to his Father in heaven. I am in trouble. Hear me speedily. Draw near to my soul and redeem it. Deliver me because of my enemies. You know, this is so hardcore because it's such hardcore trust in God's word and his promises from his word, even to the point of death. Even to the point of death. I mean, have you ever read a passage in scripture and it's a beautiful promise to your heart of hearts, deep, deep, deep down to the marrow. It's like, whoa, Lord, this is such a beautiful promise. But this is my life. You know, your word says this. This is my life. And there's a disconnect. Because it's like, I wish this were the case in my life. But it's not how it is. You know what I say? Be patient. Be patient. Because the Lord is at work. The Lord is doing something. And you know, it blows me away because you have these passages of scripture. This is a psalm of, of uh, David. And all through the Bible, Exodus, you know, Genesis, and even in, 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 in the, the prophets, the major prophets, the minor prophets. You have these people where they're on fire for the Lord. They love the Lord. They fear the Lord. And something happens where in their writings, you have these little theophanies of Jesus Christ attributes of Jesus Christ. And you say like, well, you know, how could David, you know, this Psalm of David, look what he, look at the sin he committed. And remember too, that it's like, okay, this is a shadow of uh, an attribute of Christ, but he's not the Christ. Just like the law, you know, it's like, okay, there's this, this, this statutes given by the Lord, but remember it was written with loopholes. Because of a better promise, a better confirmation in Christ. All you got to do is read Hebrews. I don't mean to say that, you know, it's people kind of freak out and they say, what do you mean the Bible was written with loopholes? It's like, I didn't say the Bible was written with loopholes. The law was written with loopholes. So something greater can be desired. And that's Jesus Christ. Abiding in Jesus Christ. But the Lord has so much trust in the Lord. Remember when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane? And he's praying unto the Father and he's saying, Father, take this cup from me. Like, like, I don't mean to sound blasphemous in saying this, but it's almost like, Lord, I don't want this to happen. Take this cup from me. But yet, not my will, thy will. And he goes through it like a lamb led to the slaughter. And they beat him. They beat him bad. They tore at his flesh. And all of a sudden, you know, they put him on the cross at Golgotha. And so look what he says here. And, uh, you know, I have to say, too, that in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, says that Jesus endured the cross and he endured shame because of the joy that was set before him. That's some major obedience unto our Lord. And I don't mean to say that, you know, like to imply that he would have chosen disobedience, you know, far be it from me. 
I don't want it to sound like that at all. But as encouragement for all of us, myself included, because we're in the same boat, to look forward to the greater joy. Because sometimes it's like, wow, you know, like for me personally, and you know, I would love to be a lawyer. I think it'd be the, because I like to argue, you know, and I think it'd be the coolest thing to be a lawyer. But I don't want to go through the schooling, you know, it's like, I don't want to go through all that school. Forget that. I'm not going to be a lawyer, you know, and so it's like, okay, I'm going to. But, you know, to look forward to, you know, you read these things about Holy Scripture and it's like, wow, Lord, you know, I want to make a stand for you. I don't want to deny you, Lord. I want want to acknowledge you before men, before women, young and old. I want to acknowledge you. And sometimes it's going to be difficult. Sometimes you got to make some hardcore decisions. You know, I remember one time, you know, we had a, a, a family gathering. And it's like, you know. We have a, a pretty cool TV, you know, and it's like my, my family came, you know, my brother was like, hey, I want to watch this movie, you know. And so you look at the back and it's like, you know, I'm sorry, we're not going to watch this in my house. You know, and if I want, you know, I don't mean to, you know, like sound like, you know, like, wow, you know, you're being mean to family. I don't mean to sound like that. But, you know, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. And it's like, OK, like. I could say. Okay, no big deal. Let's go ahead and watch this. You know, there's going to be sex. There's going to be, you know, uh, cussing and all these things. There's going to be all these dirty things. No big deal. It's my house. But then, you know, I would read Holy Scripture. You know, they would go. Everything would be fine and dandy. They'd go home. And then I'd sit on my couch and I'd start reading. And then all of a sudden, I'd feel that conviction of the Holy Spirit. The first time it happened, it was like, okay, Lord, forgive me. And then the next opportunity to arise, it says, no, we're not doing that anymore. Because you learn, you matriculate, you grow, you mature. It's like, Lord, I don't want my life to bring you dishonor. I want to honor you with my life. Look at what our Lord is saying here when he says, you know my reproach, my shame, and my dishonor. My adversaries are all before you. Reproach has broken my heart. You know, this kills me because it's like our very Lord and Savior, the Son of the Almighty God, He becomes reproach to mankind, a people who He loves. Remember, He's hanging on the cross and He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I mean, what are you saying? You know, when somebody punches you, when somebody kicks you, when you're down on the ground and you feel like dirt, you just got, you know, pummeled. It could be physically. Or what about, you know, literally, what about emotionally where you just feel like dirt, you feel pummeled in your heart of hearts? Are you saying, Father, forgive them for he knows not what he does for she know not what she knows, not what she does. That's what I mean when I say we're all in the same boat. Because the only way we can do that is with the power of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way it cannot be done in the flesh. People can try. They can try and fake it, and then it becomes religion. And our walk with the Lord, it has absolutely nothing to do with religion. It's relationship. Relationship. A one-on-one love relationship. And here he says, reproach has broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. Remember, he's all alone. 
his disciples fled. He says, remember when he's, you know, we, we studied it a little bit when he's riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. You know, people celebrate Palm Sunday. But he's riding on a donkey and they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now, save now. And people were like, yes, the Messiah is here. And they were putting the leaves, the palm leaves down and he was walking on like a procession. But several days later, they're shouting out, crucify him. Crucify him, kill him. You know, sometimes you desire the hand of the Lord in your life. And you say, Lord, I need help. Save me like this. Lord, I need help. This is how I need help. You know, Lord, my finances, you know, if I don't come up with rent, I'm going to, I'm going to lose my house. So, you, you know, you buy a bunch of lottery tickets. Lord, you know, and, you know, you pray, you fast, and it's like, okay, Lord, you know, I'm going to win the lottery. I want your help. I want you to save me, and you're going to save me like this. You can't do that. You cannot do that with the Lord. He is the potter. We are the clay. I tell you the truth, there were times, I mean, very, very dark days in my life where I just wanted to, you know, thank the Lord I didn't have a gun at the time because I would have just said goodnight. It's like, Lord, you know, I lean on your promises. I lean on your word and that beautiful, beautiful, blessed jail cell where the Lord humbled me. And I came out and everything was, it's like, okay, I took all my music, my CDs, threw it in the trash, took all my movies, threw it in the trash. And I didn't want to sell it because I didn't want to make somebody stumble, you know. So it's like, okay, got rid of everything. And it's like, you know, my wife, she couldn't trust me. She, it's like, wow, you know, like something totally different. And I knew it was going to take time. And it's like over the course of time, it's like, wow, you know, the Lord healed my marriage. The Lord healed my heart. The Lord healed her heart. And that's what he does in time. But back then, if I would have prayed, I would have like, Lord, you know, save me. But save me like this. Lord, save me and, you know, do it. You know, I'll be patient, but do it in a couple days. But no, he took his time to come to the understanding where it's like, Lord, I am the clay. You are the potter. And you place your heart, you place your life, you place your mind right here into the hands of the potter. And you yield to him and you allow him to do his work in your life. That's how he works. Otherwise, it's like, okay, I want you to save me, but I want you to save me like this. Be careful. That's idolatry. You're creating another God in your own image. Israel did the same thing. They created another God that they fashioned unto themselves. And the Lord didn't like it. But we, we have a tendency to do the same thing. Save me, Lord, but do it like this. You talk to people, oh, yeah, Satan's against me. Satan's fighting me. It's like, oh, really? Tell me the story. What happened? Well, this, 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 this. And you're like, oh, you know, not to sound sympathetic to Satan, but that's not Satan. You know, you weren't applying the Bible. You didn't apply the Bible in your life. And now look at the mess that you're in. You know, don't blame Satan. Don't blame the Lord. Blame yourself. And I'm not trying to sound sympathetic to our enemy. But that's the voice of wisdom which cries out. I mean, you read the Proverbs and wisdom cries out from the rooftops. And it blows me away because here you have the fulfillment in, in verse 21. They also gave me gall for my food and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. And it's so hardcore because look what happens here. Going back to Matthew now. 
Going back to Matthew 27. And we have the fulfillment of what we read in Psalm 69. In verse 34, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink. Then they crucified him and divided his garments. Jesus Christ stripped on the cross. I mean, that alone, I mean, that alone is like, you know, to have his like shame, open shame, like there on the cross. Stripped. He's already beaten. And like for everybody to see like, whoa. But then you read the passages in Exodus. It's like, wow, you know, like the, the death of this Passover lamb. The death of this Passover lamb. In the Old Testament, we would be, I mean, if we were Old Testament alive in Exodus, if we were on like, you know, a time machine, we go back in time, we would have to be the ones to atone for sin. Like in my home, I would have to take the first fruits of my flock, a lamb without blemish or the one that had the, the least blemish, like the best of my flock. You know, and I, you know, I'd take my wife, you know, and my kids, if I had kids, you know, and I'd like say, okay, you know, you've sinned, you need to repent before the Lord. And now I'm going to go and go to the priest and, you know, present this lamb and he's going to sacrifice it. And that's going to be the atone for my home, the atone for the sin in my home. It's like a, a, a like a deep, it's, I, don't, I hate to say, call it a process. I just don't have another word for it. But but that's the process by which, you know, the, the atonement. But then you read what's happening here. And it's like our father himself is giving us a lamb. Capital L. He's giving a lamb. Look, this is the old way. This is how you had to do it before. This is the new way. The new covenant. And so he says here, they were casting lots. It's like, you know, like rolling the dice, casting lots, like gambling. Okay, I get this piece of clothing. I get this piece of clothing. He says, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. They're placing bets. In Luke, the passage in Luke says, you know, Jesus Christ is on the cross. And he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Remember when Jesus Christ comes into Jerusalem and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to take you and put you under my wing like a hen puts her, her, her baby chicks under her wing. How much love he has for Jerusalem, for the people. He says, but you were not willing. And you see the love of our Lord and all of a sudden they're crucifying him. A couple days before they were saying, you know, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now. And now look what happens here in verse 36. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there. You know, in Psalm 22, you know, the, 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 uh, the fulfillment of what's happening here in Psalm 22 says all the people are staring at him. They're all staring at him. And they put up over his head the accusation written against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. In John chapter 19, the passage is written, this or it says, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. It was written in Hebrew, in Greek, and in Latin. Hebrew, Greek, and Latin for all the people to know and understand. Remember, it's a Roman province. They had, you know, the, uh, the Grecians there. 
but then also the Hebrew people there. So it's for all the people to see and understand Jesus of Nazareth, King, the King of the Jews. And you know what's very interesting? In the, the Hebrew acronym was, uh, uh, I'm mixing a little bit of English here, but the Hebrew acronym was YHVH, or kind of like a, uh, uh, it's a, like a faulty Hebrew text. But keep in mind, it was written by Roman soldiers. And it was like, wow, Yahweh, Yahweh. And the priests were mad. They were incensed. They go back to Pilate and they say, hey, don't write this here. Take it off. Write it like this. They made a suggestion. And then Pilate was like, you know what? It's written as I've written it. It's, it stands. And here Jesus Christ is with the sign above him. That's why if you ever see like, you know, old school pictures, like paintings and stuff, you see I-N-R-I, INRI, that's the Latin, the acronym in the Latin. And it's such a trip because it's like, whoa, the things that are being accomplished here. In verse 38, then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and another on the left. So what do you have? Three crosses, three crosses. Jesus Christ right in the middle. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads. Golgotha, you have, like say for example, you have this high point, which is Zion, you know, the, the, not, the, not the spiritual Zion, but the actual uh, physical Zion. And then you have, you know, you have uh, on the outskirts of the Temple Mount, you have the Golgotha, which is this high point, And then there's a cliff that goes down. And so right on the bottom side of a cliff, you had all these roads, these byways and highways of people that were traveling. They would go to Shechem. They would go to uh, Damascus, Caesarea, Jericho. So it was like, you know, on, on the outskirts of town. But then there were these, you know, highways and byways and these people walking by looking at him, mocking him, wagging their heads, blaspheming him. Remember what is written in Psalm 69, what we read when he says, Reproach in verse 20 reproach has broken my heart and I am full of heaviness I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none and for comforters, but I found none And you have these people on the highways and byways looking up on the cliff You have Golgotha. They're looking up at the cliff and they see the Lord on a cross and they start mocking him Mocking him And he said in verse 40 and saying you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. That's how they were mocking him. You know, save yourself. He says, if you are the son of God, come down from the cross. And you know what blows me away about this passage is that they knew his words. They knew his words. They said straight up, you know, they heard him say, you know, destroy this temple and in three days build it up. And then they were saying to him, you know, like mocking him, mocking him. And it, it's such a trip because it's like, well, you have the people here who knew his words and he's on the cross. He's dying on the cross and they're still mocking him. But their mockery isn't alone. They have the accompaniment of all these people. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and elders said he saved others. Himself he cannot save. 
If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. So they're putting conditions on the Lord. Yeah, we'll believe if, if you come down from the cross. It's, you remember Jesus Christ says, it's a wicked and perverse generation that seeks after a sign. Oh yeah, I'll believe, but you got to do this. Have you ever talked with people like that? You, you talk with them about Jesus Christ. In the purity of heart, you talk with them about Jesus Christ. And they say, yeah, I'll believe in Jesus Christ, but you know, when he does this, I'll believe in God, but when he does this. And it's like, okay, what, what is it that you want him to do? And it's like, well, you know, I want him to do this, this, this. And then you come to realize this, what they want fixed. It's like, I want it fixed too. But that's a byproduct of man's choices, man's decisions. Have you ever talked to somebody who was raped before? You talk to a lady, it's like, hey, I, I, can I tell you something? You know, it's like, I know my life is jacked up. I know my life is like this, but you know what? It's like when I was younger, you know, I was raped by this guy, this guy, this guy. And it's like, oh man, what do you do? I mean, or you talk with adult males, you know, it's like, yeah, I used to go to church, but you know what? I was in this youth group and this guy, he molested me. It's like innocence at such an early age, innocence gone, shattered in the name of Jesus Christ. You know, those people who committed those sin, they're going to they're going to stand before the Lord one day. They're going to stand before the Lord one day. But great damage is caused in the name of Jesus Christ by people who are wolves in sheep's clothing. Wolves in sheep's clothing. The Bible teaches us all about these false teachers, false prophets. But you talk to these people, adults, who I, I don't have another way to say this, but they're kind of like basket cases. And I say, you know, rightfully so. Because you take innocence, shattered, violated, sexually molested. And then you talk to them as adults. And it's like, man, you know, they go to their psychotherapist, they take their drugs, they do all these things. And it's like, yeah, I'll believe in Jesus Christ. But you know what? Look what happened to me. And it, it kills me. It's like, it should have never happened. It should have never been that way. Whoever was the pastor at the time should have got rid of these people, called the police and got rid of them. It should have never, ever happened. And people blame the Lord because of the hand of man. It's so sad. That's, that's the culture that we live in today. But God is still at work. Trust and obey the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's like, wow, you know, you have these green pastures that the Lord teaches about. I tell you, like right now, back, you know, 20 years ago, if I was going to read the Bible, I'd be like, man, you know, Lord, I, how can I believe your word when, you know, my life doesn't align with your word? But today, you know, the Lord did a work, you know, he humbled me. I can read his promises. And I'm like, Lord. Like, I know your word says this, but it's almost like a million times better actually living it because it's like, I can trust you more and more and more and more. That's what I mean when I say falling deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper in love with him. It's like an ocean that is, you can never find the depths of the love that the Lord has for you. Never. It's impossible. I mean, if we ever get to that point, we'll be dead. And you know, we'll be in our glorified bodies or awaiting our glorified bodies. 
So you have Jesus Christ on the cross. He had the two robbers on the side of him and the people are mocking him. And then they're, you know, they say, you know, if he will let himself down from the cross, we will believe him. In verse 43, still in mockery, he trusted in God. Let him deliver him now. They're speaking about God the Father now. He trusted in God. Let him, speaking about our Father, deliver him now. And he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. This is hardcore stuff. In mockery of Jesus Christ. Even they themselves, these people, these mockers, they're going to stand before the Lord one day. Maybe not in you know, that life back then, but in the life to come. I mean, I could say, you know, the life back then because they were before the Lord, but they mocked him. But what about the life to come? People always think, you know, you, know, you talk to these non-believers. It's like, yeah, you know, I'm going to die, you know, and I'm just going to return to the earth, return to the dust, and then that's it. But no, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes that eternity is written on our hearts. There is such a thing as the second death. That's when somebody's standing before the Lord and the Lord says, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. But then for the believer, the Jesus Christ, you know, standing before the Lord is going to say, you know, enter into paradise. Enter into paradise. He says in verse 44, even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. So everybody is mocking him. Even the two robbers, they're on their crosses too. And they're mocking him. They're reviling him. And you know what's so powerful? When you read the passage of Luke, you know, it's like what we read in Psalm in Psalm 69, that, you know, when Jesus Christ said, I look for somebody to have pity, but I found none. I look for a comforter, but there was none. And even the robbers are mocking him. But then when you read the passage in Luke, one of the mockers, he says to the other robber, he says, you know what? We're here because we're criminals. We're dying because we're criminals. But he is somebody who's innocent. And then all of a sudden he looks to Jesus Christ and he says, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus Christ tells him today, he says, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. And people read this and they're like, well, you know, the Bible says this, but then, you know, Matthew says this and Luke says this. Yeah, so, you know, I don't believe in the Bible. There's, you know, there's so many, uh, 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 it, it, there's no balance. You know, there's so many contradictions in the Bible. But you know what I say? There, there's no contradictions in the Bible. There's contradictions in your life. Because it's like the guy had a heart change. You know, have you ever been a mocker of Jesus Christ? Like me, mocking Christians, making fun of Christians, trying to make Christians to stumble. I used to hate Christians, hate them with a passion. And then all of a sudden the Lord humbled me. It's like I had a heart change too. Just like this guy on the cross, just like one of the robbers here. And the Lord tells them, today you will be with me in paradise. Can you imagine hearing those words from the Lord? Today you will be with me in paradise. I say, you know, in the flesh. Can you imagine hearing those words? Today you will be with me in paradise. But by faith, I tell you, Jesus Christ says, tomorrow you will be with me in paradise. If you believe in Jesus Christ. You see, it's so powerful here, this 
transfer. As difficult as it is to study these passages of the death of our Lord, it's also, it's like bittersweet. The pain of reading it, but then the beauty of understanding what the Lord is doing. He says in verse 45, now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. So it's about noontime. How the, 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 in the, the Roman clock system, the time system, you know, like here, you know, you have like 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And then, you know, the, it, like 7 a.m. it starts to get light, 7 p.m. it starts to get dark. Or in the summertime, I don't know how it is now. I mean, I do, but you guys know what I'm talking about. But like, so like seven to seven, it's a 12 hour period. So they timed it. So they had like the first hour would be 7 a.m. The second hour would be 8 a.m. So that's how their time system would be. So how it is here, it says from the sixth hour until the ninth hour. So it's around noontime. And what happens here is that the day turned to darkness. The day turned to darkness. He says in verse 46, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? You see the obedience of our Lord, even to death, even to death. And the Lord God, our Father, is doing a work. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves me. His only begotten son. Just as is written in John 3.16 and John 3.17, he sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. In verse 47, some of those who, who stood there, when they heard that, said, this man is calling for Elijah, Elijah the prophet. In verse 48, immediately one of them ran and took a sponge filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. So here you have a dissenter of the crowd. Somebody who has compassion all of a sudden. They see Jesus Christ dying on a cross and they, they take the sponge, they put it up to, you know, give him something to drink. You have somebody who's having this compassion for the Lord. And then look what happens immediately in verse 49. The rest said, let him alone, leave him be. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And you know, verse 48 and verse 49, you know what it reminds me of? The voice of the majority. The voice of the majority. When you make a stand for the Lord. You know, you read your Bible and it's like, wow, I can't do this anymore. You keep reading, wow, I can't do this anymore. And then you have your friends. Hey, let's go to the strip club. Hey, let's go get drunk. Let's go do this. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm a Christian and I want to honor the Lord with my life. This body is no longer mine. It's a temple of the Lord. And I want to be blessed by the Lord. I want him to fill me and use me. And just like the majority here, oh, you know, you have this dissenter of the crowd who goes in and tries to give him, you know, give him some comfort. And the people are like, let him alone, leave him be. And it reminds me of the mockers in your life and my life. Oh, it's no big deal. Come on here, take a drink of this. Take a hit of this. Let's go over here. Let's do this. Why are you going to believe in the Bible? Why are you going to believe in those fairy tales? We're so spoiled today. We're so spoiled because this book, and no disrespect to the Lord, I feel weird just calling it a mere book. You know how many people died because of this? 
You know how many people die today because of this? You know, we live in an, an America bubble, which I'm thankful for, you know, because, you know, there's a lot of um, liberties that come with that. But there are also Christians who smuggle Bibles. They smuggle Bibles into North Korea. They smuggle Bibles into China. They smuggle Bibles into in Russia, into, you know, uh, Saudi Arabia. And if they get caught, they're killed. They get their heads chopped off. It's happening today. Even today, the words of this book are, it comes at a heavy cost. And here we are spoiled with our apps, you know. Oh, yeah, I got the Bible here, no big deal. Tyndale. All these people, they paid the price for this book, this precious, precious book. And so you have this dissenter who shows compassion on the Lord. And the majority you're so stupid. Leave him alone. You know what? Let us see if Elijah will come and save him. And it reminds me of these people today. Remember, everybody is standing. Is One day is going to stand before the Lord individually. When I'm standing before the Lord, I'm not going to have my wife there. I'm not going to have anybody there. It's just going to be me and the Lord. I'm not going to have mommy and daddy. It's just going to be me and the Lord the same way it's going to be you and the Lord. And what do you want him to, what what words do you want him to hear or what words do you want to hear? You know, well done my good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear. That's what I want you to hear. That's why we go through the Bible like we do. And I got to admit there's some hardcore things that we study. I mean very very hardcore things. It's like, well, I'm mean, in my heart of hearts I want to give immense comfort to God's people. Immense, immense, immense comfort. And sometimes I don't know how to do that. It's like, man, you know, like, and that's why I pray. Lord, this is a tough subject. This is tough stuff. Lord, let it be soft in their ears. I don't want to, I don't want to hurt them. But Lord, this is your word. And you know what happened? You know, in my life, I would go to church and I would hear the Bible. I hear the study. And it was like a knife in my heart. And I had a choice. It's like, man, you know what? I'm out of here. I don't want to hear these words. And then I started reading the Bible. And it's like, wow. This is like, this is the word of God. My problem's not with the pastor. My problem's with the Lord. And then I would repent. Lord, forgive me. I made a mess of everything. Lord, forgive me. And then with the Lord, you know, I had to deny a lot of things. Alcohol was my, alcohol was my God. I even called alcohol my God. I would go out with my friends and we'd go to the alcohol store. There was in Southern California, there was this big alcohol store. It was like a Costco for alcohol. And I would go in the big wall of alcohol and I would say, behold my God. I have seen the face of God. That's what I would say. You know, I had such major, major repentance to do. Because it's like, wow, Lord, you know, that really was my God. But then Elohim came into my heart. And he'll do it. I don't mean to say like, you know, look, look how awesome this is. You know, I'm a piece of garbage with a mouth. I'm trying to say, this is what the Lord will do in your life, in anybody's life. But then you'll have these dissenters. You're so stupid. Why are you going to believe those fairy tales? You know, why are you going to do this? Why? You know, you read your Bible. It's like, wow, Lord, I want to honor you with my life. 
And then you'll have these dissenters. Hey, let's go do this. Let's go do this. Then you have a choice to make. You know, and it's so beautiful when the Lord sees these choices that honor him. He blesses that. He blesses that mightily. That's when you read the promises, like in Psalm 23, what we read a couple Wednesdays ago. The green grass, the still waters, it's like peace in your heart, peace in your life. Have you ever talked with like, you know, forgive me for saying it like this, but like basket case Christians? It's like you talk to them, it's like, wow, you know, where's the peace in your life? And they're telling you like, oh yeah, you know, praise the Lord, this, this, this. And you're like, that's not green grass. That's not still waters. And they say, oh yeah, Satan is attacking me. Satan is attacking me. It's like, okay. Tell me, how is Satan attacking you? Well, you know, there's this, 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 this. And you're like, hmm. You hit the rewind button. You remember when you told me about this? And you made this choice and you dishonored the Lord. How can you have still waters? How can you have green pastures? When you dishonored him here. Oh, you're too judgmental. You're too judgmental. No, I'm not trying to judge. I'm just trying to say, you know, I want to help you. Here, you know what? I blew it yesterday too. I got a little argument with my wife. Hold my hand. Let's repent together. Let's repent. I'll go first. Lord, I repent. Forgive me, Lord. I blew it. Okay, now it's your turn. You know? And then that's a blood-bought people. That's how we're transformed by renewing of our mind. Outside of that, there's no transformation. Where's the transformation? Yeah, I'm a Christian. And they're, you know, rolling their papers. Yeah, I'm a Christian. It's like there's a disconnect. But the Bible also says this is what's going to be an indicator of the last days. This is the indicator of the last days. A great falling away. But that doesn't, that doesn't change this transaction. This holy, holy, holy transaction. He says in verse 50, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This is a big deal, verse 51. From top to bottom. Because in accordance with the old covenant, it was the high priest who would go and commune with the Lord and be at the mercy seat and hear the voice of the Lord. And it was in the Holy of Holies. And at the death of Jesus Christ, when he yielded up his spirit, the veil was torn from the very top to the bottom. From the top to the bottom. Meaning, it's all over. The old way is over. Remember Moses, what we studied on Wednesday, you know, this is the blood of the covenant. But then remember Jesus Christ in the upper room with the disciples. This is the blood of the new covenant. There's a new high priest in the order of Melchizedek. That's what we read about in the book of Hebrews. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. He's the Passover lamb. He's the high priest. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He is all in all. The fulfillment of all these passages in the Old Testament fulfilled in Jesus Christ. 
He says in verse 51, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. This is believers in the Messiah, believers who had died in Christ. They were believers in Jesus Christ and then they were, they died. But, you know, in accordance with the faith, in accordance with scripture, when you die in the faith, you're just falling asleep because you're going to raise again one day. He says in verse 53, and coming out of the graves, after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. To many, this it's very important to note that this is after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In First Corinthians chapter fifteen, we read that Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. It's a foreshadow of the rapture of the church. It's a foreshadowing of the rapture of the church. You say, like, come on, this is so impossible. What are you talking about? It is written. There's going to be a raising again one day. Paul even writes about it in, you know, first and second Thessalonians. It's the rapture of the church. It's like a straight up literal and physical rescue mission. The second coming of the Lord. The earth, it's going to be so bad for Christians on the earth. You think it's bad now. It's getting worse and worse and worse. It's going to be so bad to be a Christian. And you know, the Antichrist is going to want to kill the Jews and he's going to go and attack Israel. But when you read the prophecies in Revelation, something else happens where, you know, the Lord is going to protect Israel. And then the, the focus of the Antichrist, he's going to want to kill Christians and he's going to come and start to kill, have their heads chopped off. If you don't take the mark of the beast, you know, the Bible says, you know, it's on your right hand or on your forehead. You take the mark of the beast and then you'll be able to buy and sell. Imagine, you know, getting groceries. You try to get groceries and they say, you know, you try to pay with a $20 bill. And they say, I'm sorry, we can't accept that. Do you have, you know, the, your special scanner or whatever? It's like, wow, I can't take that. It's going to be some crazy, crazy times ahead of us. Me personally, I believe we're a last day's church, but the Lord could tarry. The Bible says no man knows the day or the hour. It could be 100 years, 200 years, 2,000 years. But, you know, making my judgment and what I see in the world today, geopolitically, what's happening happening in the Middle East, a potential peace treaty that's going to happen in Israel with her neighbors pretty soon. Like when I say pretty soon, in a couple months. Looking what I see, the what's happening in the church today. You know, I, I follow finances as an investor. The things that I see where things are going in like, you know, uh, biomedicine, you know, biotechnologies. It's like, wow, this is like an aligning of Old Testament, New Testament prophecies. So when I say I believe we're a last day's church, I'm not just like, you know, saying that for the heck of it. But this rapture of the church, it's going to happen. But then look what happens here in verse 54. In verse 54. So when the centurion, captain of the Roman guard, and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. This is something that's going to happen again in the last days. Great fear when you read Revelation. Great fear is going to be all over the world. 
because there's going to be all kinds of, you know, what all these scientists and uh, professors, they're going to say, oh, yeah, it's global warming, you know, natural disasters, all these things. But then you read the pages of scripture and you see like, well, judgment is coming. It's going to be, you know, like the angels of the Lord, even the Lord himself. When you read Revelation 2 and 3, the Lord is saying, repent, repent. You see the angel of the Lord going across the earth saying, come out of her, my people. It's like the last call, the last call to receive Jesus Christ. In verse 55, and many women who followed Jesus from Galilee, Galilee, ministering to him, were there looking on from afar. You know, the men, they were scaredy cats. They were in hiding. They went back to their homes and they were hiding from the Romans and the religious leaders. But you see these beautiful, beautiful women who were just, you know, sold out for the Lord. Brave. He says in verse 56, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of Zebedee's sons. See, you have these beautiful women and we're not going to study it so much. But like in Luke and John, you see these beautiful women. Where were the men? Hiding. Hiding. Scaredy cats. You know, count the cost. Count the cost of being a Christian. It's like, well, you know, Lord, if I'm going to be on fire for you, Lord, I can't do this anymore. And I used to be bummed out. You know, I used to be a party animal back in the day. And it's like, wow, Lord, if I'm going to be on fire for you, I can't, you know, I can't be a party animal anymore. I can't do this anymore. So my friends would call and they'd be like, you know, hey, let's go party. It's like, I can't do that anymore. And it's like, wow. It's like whatever the Lord takes away from your life, whatever you give to the Lord sacrificially unto him, he will replace it with something better. 100% of the time. 100% of the time. Like, you know, like issues that you face in life that you used to handle one way. It's like you run to the Lord now. It's like, Lord, I need help with this situation. And it's like, boom, there he is right there. Wow, praise unto the Lord. He says in verse 57, remember the day that turned to darkness. So it's like evening now. It's in verse 57. Now when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had become who who, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. So you have these followers of jesus these disciples there were rich people and there were poor people you know i like to say there's level ground at the foot of the cross level ground at the foot of the cross god is no respecter of persons that's what paul writes about he is no respecter of persons have you ever worked for a company before and it's like wow the ceo is gonna come here so let's clean it up let's make things look nice you know everybody wear suit and tighter to, to work it's like wow this is vip we got to treat him, you know, really good. God doesn't do that. He's no respecter of persons. He looks at the heart. He doesn't care if you're rich, poor, male, female, young, old. He looks at your heart. He says in verse 58, this man went to Pilate. So this rich guy from Arimathea named Joseph, he had some clout. He had some political connections. And so he goes to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. So he used his, his influence. He used his, you know, his position to honor the Lord and say, wow, you know, give us the body of Jesus Christ. 
And the Lord was gracious and says, okay, here it is. Verse 59. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb. It translates as a fresh tomb. Like it says, which he had hewn out of the rock. You know, back in this particular time, rich people, their tombs, I mean, like kind of like a cemetery now. You go to the cemetery and you see a little brick in the ground with a name on it and like the date, the date of birth and date of death. That's like poor people. You know, poor people have like a little rock in the ground. But then you go to the cemetery and you see like the big tombstone. It's like, wow, this guy had more money. You see a bigger tombstone. Wow, this family was loaded. And then you see a mausoleum and it's like, whoa, these people were loaded. And some people, they even put air conditioning in their mausoleums. So when you go and, you know, you go and I don't go to the cemeteries, but when people go and visit their dead relatives, it's like, you know, they have air conditioning. They're comforted. So it's like a symbolic of wealth. And here you have this rich guy. He had his tomb in the rocks. The poor people would just have like a little thing in the ground, you know. And so this rich guy, he took his tomb and said, no, this is for the body of the Lord. He says, and he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb on the next day, which followed the day of preparation. Remember, it's Passover week. It's Passover week. The chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. They called Jesus Christ a deceiver. You see these people? They called Jesus Christ a deceiver. The religious leaders, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they say it together. These are the very people. Who should have said, this is the Messiah? But no, they're calling him the deceiver. I mean, put yourself in the position of the people at that time. Relying on these religious leaders to lead you. To be the godly example. You see, that's why Jesus Christ was so mad. These are hypocrites. Whitewashed tombs is what they are. Because they want to appear like they're clean. They want to appear holy. But inside is death. It's the same today. The same today. These people are calling Jesus Christ a deceiver. In verse 64, they're making provisions for their lies now. Therefore, they're talking to Pilate. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure or lock it up until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. You know, it's very interesting what wicked people call deception. Very interesting. You know what blows me away about this? Did they know when Jesus Christ told them that after three days he would raise, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up? Did they know he was talking about himself, these religious leaders? Because now look at what they're saying to uh, uh, Pilate. It's even worse for them. If they had known, if they knew, if they knowingly did, this thi did these things, it's going to be even worse for them. Worse. Pilate said to them, you have a guard. Go your way and make it secure as you know how. He gives them the green light. Go ahead, go make it secure. Because there was a detachment of Roman soldiers that were, you know, assigned to the uh, religious people, the religious leaders. 
Because remember, it was a Roman province. Gives them the green light. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. And next week, it's going to be so beautiful because you know what? Death didn't hold him. Death had no power over Jesus Christ because he rose again. Let's end our study here.